The key thing is don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think the, the most important, the most compelling was uh, was 9-11 itself. Kevin. Welcome. This is the live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett. The voice you heard before was Dick Cheney. And then you heard Gordon Duff saying, Kevin, apparently he's mistaken me for Dick Cheney. Uh, Gordon, what's up with that? You look just like Dick Cheney. <laughs> no, I, I, that's, that's quite the insult. I, I'm, I'm actually in better shape than him, and I probably could shoot straighter too. Uh, you could go hunting with me, and your face would probably be just fine. Then, then where were you planning on shooting me? <laughs> well, uh, we'll have to discuss that in private. I think that's, that's a national security secret. Speaking of national security secrets, this uh, Victor Boot thing, you know, is, is we traded her for that for a basketball player, and all of the conservative Republicans are saying, "Wow, Biden sure got a bad deal. He's not as sharp as Donald Trump, who really knows the art of the deal. Trump would have gotten like you know a couple of, of really good wide receivers and a, and a first rate linebacker and some draft picks, right? So, uh, so, but actually, the Victor Boot thing." Clearly, it's not what they're telling us. They're telling us that this guy, yeah, he was just this big arms dealer, and he happened to sell some stuff to the Colombian rebels. And for that, we're going to lock him up forever, which uh, I think there's more to it than that. And then there's also more to the JFK story than uh, we've gotten from the stuff that the CIA keep refusing, <laughs> they keep refusing to release it. Every president promises they're going to release these records that had to have all been released by 2017, according to law, and they haven't been. Trump wouldn't do it. The CIA had a gun to his head, uh, and now Biden won't do it either. He just released a few of them, but held back the rest. Tucker Carlson just had a show. He had a, uh, he quoted a high-level CIA source as confirming that, yeah, the CIA did kill JFK, and it's in the paperwork, and that's why they won't release it. So anyway, those are our two deals. Victor Boot and, uh, and, and Tucker and the CIA killed JFK. And you have insider perspectives on both of these, Gordon. So where do you want to start? Well, uh, the Victor Boot story has been, it's so many things that have been thrown around so much and we're all competing with the billion dead children who died of vaccines. And that's just the American kids. A billion American children died. Uh, we're, we have Lake Michigan. Apparently they've been sneaking them into Lake Michigan at night. And I, I'm waiting for the, the lake to flow over the, you know, they could drown both of us like this. I mean, it's the kind of stuff I worry about. But, um, so, so you're not, you're not actually uh, looking at all these died, died suddenly reports and being uh, terrified. What I did was, it was just very simple, where I looked into Mercola's stuff and, and pretty much all of it. And then I talked to real medical people who actually work, you know, doing things. And then the simplest thing is I live in a, well, a couple homes, but right now I'm in West Michigan in Ottawa County, 325,000 people, the center of GOP power in America. You know, this is where Betsy DeVos lives and, and we're a good percentage between Kent and Ottawa County. It's where the brain, the brainless trust of the Republican Party exists. And anyway, they ran the vaccine and, you know, and counting the dead babies or whatever. Uh, we uh, vaccinated 275,000 people here. And, 
we didn't have any serious reactions. We haven't lost any kids. We don't have any sick people from vaccines. Nobody's died suddenly. <laughs> Nobody's died suddenly at all. Not you, one well, they must be saving the good batches for the elite then. Yeah, yeah. There's no, not a single person has. Now, I'm sitting here. I've had five shots, and I've had no reactions. Well, yeah, but Gordon, you're you're a guy who can fly through the windshield of of a car at, at 30 miles an hour head first with no motorcycle helmet on and live to tell the tale. So I, I'm sure you could handle a couple of vaccine shots, but yeah, yeah there I'm, might be people who can't. You know, I'm sitting here. I've got my kitten with me, and you and you, you know, you're a regular around the house as well. This is Bowie, though. You like Bowie? He's the one that asked to be picked up. Oh yeah, hi Bowie. Yeah. Too bad we don't have video. We can't uh, show everybody your cats. But but you know, Gordon, we should we should get back to this like Victor Boot we're thing because yeah. we're mentioning we're mentioning Bowie's favorite person. And, and Bowie loves you and your your kids, but mostly he loved Robert David Steele, who stays in that front bedroom. You know, where you'll camp out occasionally, and but we can't visit Robert David Steele because Robert David Steele is wherever. Meatloaf is. And, because, well, he, he died suddenly of COVID, just like all these other people are dying suddenly from the vac. So it's like you take your chances either way, don't you? Name, name some of the people that are dead. Nobody has their names. Any. Well, if, if you subscribe to Mark Crispin Miller's Substack, every single day you'll get this long list of famous people who are dropping dead suddenly or sometimes just collapsing or suddenly it's, developing it's a, you know, myocarditis and heart issues and so on and so forth. It's 100% fake. It's well, well, no, the, story, the stories are true, but they're anecdotal. Well, they're anecdotal. Let's just say this. When they look at the death rates of vaccinated people, apparently vaccinated people don't have other things either. They die at a much lower rate than the rest of the population. And here it's, we have about 34% of unvaccinated. But vaccinated seem to live longer. That could be because they tend to get better medical care and be smarter. Well, that's true. There, there is the, yeah, you know, there's the healthy vaccine syndrome. But if you adjust for that, among other things, I don't know. Well, we don't really have time to go into a long statistical debate about this particular issue on a show that's devoted to Victor Boot and JFK. Well, Kev, the, the biggest thing that came up this last week when they, uh, the investigation that was done on America's frontline doctors. And of course, we've all published that. I just sent a copy to uh, right now to Ben Fulford. As a matter of fact, Ben's on, Ben's on with me in the other line right now. But we found that American frontline doctors, we know publicly and gold, you know, the, the, the great heroic founder are all IDF, Shinbet, Unit wow. 8200, the people that run Microsoft Corporation, the ones that run Google, the ones that run Meta, the people that control Hollywood, the people who feed all this crap on us. The key thing to remember here, as if you're reading it on the internet from unqualified idiotic people who are love spreading tales because they want to play the Trump base of morons and back, and back, back alley seats that will send money to anybody for any reason because they've been feeding these big haired kid raping preachers for a long time. So sending money to the anti-vax fools is, is the same thing. All we had early on, this will only take about a minute. When COVID came out, we had a few people, 4,000 sick in, uh, in China. We had a fairly unspecified disease. We knew that the U.S. had been doing a lot of research on bad viruses at Bering Place University of North Carolina. But much of that work was coming out of Ukraine and Georgia, the same place that 
Some of us believe the U.S. has been running a germ warfare program against overtly Cuba, China, Venezuela, and Russia. Now, when we early on saw death rates in the Jewish areas around New York City of 44% in Spain, 35 to 40% in Italy, average 38% dead. When we go back to this country, we have a pretty long run here. We ran about 1.1%. Wait, 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 wait. 30 to 40% death rates from COVID. That is. From COVID, yes. Okay, of all all the people who tested positive, that percentage died. Yeah. Uh, That's okay. That's interesting because I I believe that Italy actually had a lower uh, excess mortality rate or all cause mortality rate in 2020 than it did after the vaccine rollout in 2021. No, that's not true at all. I believe it is, but we can look it up later and find out. So that's why the Russians flew decontamination teams into Italy when they when they hit 44 percent. You know, the Russians sent decon teams in, right? You're aware of that, right? You don't remember. I, I don't remember that. But again, uh, yeah, I, I, I that, will be happy why, to to afterwards. What we'll do is is this show will get posted, and I can add some stuff with some sources, uh, your sources and my sources. People can compare them. I have a totally different outlook on this. I uh, believe the you know, statistical you know, analyses I'm getting from people like Alex Berenson. Uh, from RFK Jr. and the Children's Health Defense. These people are doing a very good, careful job of looking at the all overall statistics. It's clear that U.S. statistics are utter crap, that you need to look at European statistics, even Israeli statistics. Any country with a national health service, which is most country, most advanced countries other than the U.S., collects uh, and quickly tabulates data. You look at that, and what you discover is that U.S. data is is bullshit, and it's being adjusted to try to make it look like the vaccines are safer and more effective than they actually are. But Kevin, it's simply what you're saying is not true. Omicron kills very, very few people under 80 years old. That's right. That is not the variant that was around for some time. So what you're doing is you're lawyering figures, Omicron figures, and you're overlaying them on the earlier versions of COVID when the vaccine to unvaccinated death rates were between 19 and 22 to 1. And so right now, of the people who are getting COVID, we have younger people getting COVID who aren't going to die and over 80s who were going to die anyway. And that's giving you the figures that you're extrapolating wrongly back to an entirely different disease. Secondly, the areas with Spain and Italy in particular, and then Iran, the extremely high death rates are what those of us who really watch things and who aren't working with, in this case, inadvertently, Unit 8200 of the uh, of Shin Bet, where the RFK people all come from, as they, and that's the document we've been sending around now and published for the last few days because we've tracked America's frontline doctors is an Israeli organization initially funded by neocons through Israeli oligarch uh, cash, and everything that came out of there, which you've been quoting all along, is Israeli propaganda that you inadvertently have been sending on the public because you hadn't investigated the demon sperm lady and her group living on all that Jewish oligarch cash. Do you think uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. would agree with you on this, or uh, he, you know, maybe you should send him this information? He's at the heart of it. 
Oh man. Okay, whatever. So uh, let's let's move on to the topics that we can shed some light on, such as the, the term again, is Victor. Vi- you promised to talk about Victor Boot and JFK. Vaccine. There was no COVID vaccine stuff on the agenda for tonight. So let's get back okay. to the topic. Victor Boot was picked up uh, while he was um, living in Bangkok with BT editor uh, uh, Dmitry Kalasov. The issue with Boot is that Boot was working for a group headed by, and this is what the IAE has told me, the group included Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, Richard Clark, who worked in the, in the White House as uh, counterterrorism czar, Tom Countryman, who is uh, our non-proliferation czar, and uh, former Governor Richardson of... Uh, the state of uh, New Mexico, who was director of uh, the Department of Energy. And that those individuals working with Boot arranged for the removal of 350 W-54 uh, nuclear pits. And then we have a mix that they removed. They're primarily the W-54, which are an oblong pit, uh, very heavy, that was used in nuclear artillery those were shipped to a uh, in reefer trucks after being taken out of the Pantax facility in uh, Amarillo, Texas, by Victor Boot, with the aid of Israeli and American traders, to uh, the town of West Texas, which happens to be in West Texas, oddly enough, to a fertilizer facility. There they were sorted and packaged and driven to the uh, port of Houston slash Galveston, Beaumont actually, where they were put on uh, ships and uh, taken to the Canary Islands by Victor Boat. There they were taken on planes, and those planes were taken to Mali, to the Polisario region of Mali, where there are iron mines. One of those iron mines was owned by F.W. de Klerk. The machining equipment to remanufacture those pits and the modern nuclear weapons existed in the bottom of those mines to hide them from America's Vela uh, nuclear detection satellite system that's been modernized about three times since it went up in 1978. It's the system that discovered the South African-Israeli nuclear explosion in September 1979 on Prince Edward Island. So so, so just a quick, quick aside. Uh, So this is the same nuclear theft operation that Roland Carnaby got shot down for investigating. Is that right? And, uh, yeah, Roland Carnaby, John O'Neill, um, uh, John Wheeler III. Uh, we lost a number of people there. And those people were working. This effort was funded by former President George Herbert Walker Bush from his offices on Memorial Avenue in Houston, Texas. So he was working with the Israelis <laughs> to steal American nuclear weapons? Oh. He wasn't, he, was that, working, he wasn't a friend of Israelis he when he was, was president. He was with a private crew to stop the Israelis from stealing nuclear weapons. There you go. He was on the other side. Yes. Yeah. And I was surprised. I've, I've met him a number of times personally because my, he was a close friend of my college roommate. But uh, <laughs> So I got to run into Bush whenever he came to Michigan. And during his, the last year of his, uh, his last unsuccessful presidential attempt, he came back to Grand Rapids to hide with his friends because things were going very badly. So, so Carnaby was, was working with, with the, with the team that was investigating this. 
And then yes. he, he ended up in a high-speed chase and then was kind of, it looked like he was killed execution style by a mobbed-up cop. Well, he said, telling people, I'm with the Central Intelligence Agency. I want to wait in my car till the supervisor shows up. Yeah. They did, and then they collectively killed him. I see. <laughs> There's a live video. Go on, go on, hey, go on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Um, John Wheeler was found in a uh, essentially what they call a garbage dump in Delaware. Uh, he was uh, one of the other members of the team. John O'Neill, initially, uh, who died on 9-11. He was replaced by FBI Special Agent Mike Dick, who's also retired Army colonel. Uh, there was an attempt to murder Mike Dick as well. It was unsuccessful, and Mike Dick filed suit against uh, Mueller, who was director of the FBI and the Department of Justice, for attempting to kill him. During one of my interrogations by the FBI, where I took Carol with me and my laptop, um, when these guys uh, and I asked the questions <laughs> during my own interrogation, uh, when I started asking, asking them about Mike Dick and, and uh, why the FBI tried to kill him, and they said they didn't know him, I popped open the laptop and pulled out a copy of the Bolo, uh, which was uh, taken from uh, Fox News. And of the lawsuit, Mike Dick's lawsuit, and you can find that on Google. It'll be in my my Scribd account. His lawsuit against Mueller for attempting to have him whacked. Okay, so, so this, this was quite a, a dirty business. Now, you said Victor Boot was working with the Israelis who uh, who stole yes. these pits. Yes. And so, so ultimately he was arrested by the team that didn't particularly appreciate that theft? It was He was carrying, and, and we wonder why. You know, what the issue was. And the issue was silencing Boot. Now, everyone else, now, when you, when you look collectively at the, at the, you would go after not only the people who did it, but the people who investigated. Everyone was gone after anyone that held information about this, about 9-11, about the use of nuclear weapons on 9-11 was silenced by the Houston grand jury, which you know, is still a secret grand jury or, and they, they go, they went after both sides. This is the same thing with the, uh, the JFK issue. Anybody that opened their mouths, let's, you know, let's jump over the JFK issue and put some, uh, put some ideas behind this. When we're looking at the central intelligence agency in 1963, you know, and this is uh, a few years before I had anything to do with these guys as well, but not that many years. It's a matter of fact, a disturbingly short number of years. The CIA was an offshoot of the original OSS. I'll give you some hard facts about the OSS. The Office of Strategic Services did not send parachutists into France, uh, dropping off arms shipments and blowing up German arms trains and key bridges. The OSS was tasked with, and the OSS was run was run by uh, an American Wall Street attorney uh, named uh, William Donovan, who is a very, very close friend of, well, Himmler, among others, but mostly Hermann Goring, uh, someone that uh, admired the Nazis, spent much of his time before taking over the OSS with Nazi German, uh, with uh, the Nazi German leadership, 
hobnobbing with them and arranging for financing for Germans war, Germany's war material. That financing was handled through, uh, particularly Union Bank in Switzerland, who, which was owned by the Bush family. Uh, and this would be why, and if you haven't, uh, haven't caught this, that, uh, Prescott Bush, father of George Herbert Walker Bush, was found by a congressional committee headed by a guy named Harry Truman to be um, responsible for trading with the enemy during wartime. Now, the Bush family owned, and this is uh, from investigative material. Let's see, uh, we had kind of the book here. Was it uh, Ch- Anton Chaikin, and who is the other guy in the book? Yeah, right. That's yeah, one one of those uh, Larouche brain trust people. One of those other people. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. um, I think Tarpley wrote some of this stuff too? He he did that unauthorized biography of Bush and included some of this material. Let me give you a real quick one here. This will be fun. This will be more fun for people to listen to. We have a lot of talk about uh, who who people are, who these families are, and where they come from. And that sometimes people aren't who they seem to be. There's always been this rumor bouncing around that the Bush family was really the Schiff family from Germany. And there really wasn't an American Bush family at all, that they were walk-ins. And the term walk-in uh, comes from the Kazarians. And that's the original uh, Jewish Turco-European uh, peoples from uh, what would have been Azerbaijan, a little bit of Ukraine, Kazakhstan. Uh, from that region in the 700 A.D. area, uh, a people that lived on the um, Silk Road between China and uh, and Europe, where there was a fairly active trade, and made commerce nearly impossible by robbing everybody. You know, uh, we can see some similarities here. But anyway, these um, these same individuals, the Kazarians, is. And this is the key concern that you won't hear from intelligence people. But if you're sitting with Homeland or FBI people and they think they're at a certain level, they are concerned that a lot of people in this country are really deep cover, multi-generational walk-in slash agents of some Conspiracy, be it Bolshevik, Russian, or whatever, but aren't who they're supposed to be. Toward that end, I began looking at the Bush family when the Library of Congress began putting, finished putting all small town American papers, newspapers since the 1780s. They are all on, uh, online through the Library of Congress. So I ran my own family and in the early uh, 20th century and the late 19th century, uh, in Detroit, <laughs> there constant trouble with the police. My grandfather, James Buchenduff, was arrested, drunk, and disorderly. And those articles are all sitting there. You can find where your grandmother lived in the 1880s, and her great-grandmother or great-great-grandmother, depending. And uh, her high school graduation photo will be up there in the local newspaper. Football scores from the 1870s will be up, you know, when they're before the leather helmet was invented. But all of these things are there, everything, every birth, death, high school graduation, college graduation. Since the 1780s, thousands of newspapers, every, <laughs> every single uh, issue. Well, that's a, that's a great resource. But, oh, my God, it is. Absolutely. 
and I have all the family references, including a few of my own and whatever, and I've stuck them off in a but file. How, how do you use this to detect uh, walk-ons? Well, let's let's say you look, wanted to take a look at the uh, Bush family. We know that Prescott Bush's father was Samuel Bush from the Buckeye Casting Corporation in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And uh, after the Civil War, he uh, he went to a local college, took over as general manager of that company, lived in Columbus, where Prescott Bush was born in, in Columbus. Prescott Bush went off to Yale, where he attended Yale with Bunny Harriman, a wife of our sister of Averill Harriman, who was at one time our ambassador to Russia. These guys are the founders of the eugenics movement in the U.S., and that's the uh, the movement that's not so breed more wasps who name their women bunny. Pretty much that exactly. But the problem is, and then then after the war, uh, after graduating from school, he uh, went to uh, join the army where he was uh, personal valet to General Pershing. This was Prescott Bush. When he got out, Bunny got him a job on Wall Street with Averill Harriman, working for the Rothschilds at Brown Brothers, which was the Rothschild outlet for their City of London banking system, where he worked with uh, Herbert Walker, married his uh, daughter, and together they built Nazi Germany, uh, their war capability. Uh, But when we take the story back to Ohio, starting in the 1870s, we don't have a single mention of there being a Buckeye casting company in Columbus, Ohio, which had three newspapers. Samuel Bush is never mentioned. Uh, There's no mention of the birth at any time of of Prescott Bush, was never born there, never lived in Ohio, never went to school in Ohio, (laughs) never played in sports, never got sick. They had no family members at all in Columbus, Ohio, where the family is from. The Bush family's from Columbus, Ohio. Maybe they were just really good at staying out of the papers. And there's no record that anything mentioned about them, especially in the in the uh, Chaikin biography, there is no mention of any of the family background ever having. You can find everybody else. I can find my wife's family on Chilli- down in Chillicothe in the 1840s. But I can't find any Bush family members, especially when you send a kid off to Yale from a backwoods family in uh, in uh, Columbus, Ohio. A kid that was supposedly active in sports, active in the won lots of prizes for things, yet never a single mention in the house, hometown paper, nor of any other family members, births or deaths, nor are there any Bush family members buried in the state of Ohio either. Apparently they never they didn't live there, but they didn't die because what we do have are rather rather complete lists of the areas of burial for almost everybody. Those uh, those things are kept through not only local records, but church records. They've all been codified. They're all online. I can go down to Detroit and find family members who were buried in the 1820s, but you can't find any Bush family members because there's no record of Buckeye Casting Corporation, of Prescott Bush, of Samuel Bush, and the beginning of that family that never had brothers and sisters, nobody ever had a wife, there were no uncles and aunts, they never got there, they never came there, they never uh, traded in anything, bought anything, they, didn't, they never owned land, they never went to school, they never died. 
meaning they don't exist. And all this stuff, thank heavens for all those busy little people that put everything online. This isn't hard to figure out. It wouldn't take you 20 minutes, and nobody asks a question about it. So, so where do these people first start showing up in the records? They said they started. He started showing up when he was listed in one of the Yale papers in 1917. Is the first reference of Prescott Bush. He came to life in 1917. Hmm. Just just appeared. <laughs> poofy. That somebody beamed him down out of nowhere. And there is no record of any, and it's not just them. Now, a few years ago here, uh, well, around 2012, I had an FBI agent, Claudio DeLeo, the senior FBI official who uh, was our representative between uh, with with, the, with Mexican intelligence and led the investigations and key trials in the late 1990s of Mexican cartel members. And uh, he came to me with a story about Mitt, that Mitt Romney uh, worked in partnership with, with Carlos Salinas, former president of Mexico, that they went to Harvard together, and that when Salinas and Romney traveled uh, to Mexico together, often by driving up to Toronto and getting on a plane and flying down to Veracruz, they pulled out all their passports and went to their their uh, normal neighborhood, which was a tourist town called Vierna, Cuba, where they lived, and where, according to Claudio DeLeo, and this is, you know, I've, I have documents on this that were supplied, including a, a photograph of Romney with his girlfriend, but Romney's girlfriend, uh, and this is from DeLeo, and I have this recorded, by the way, and it's on my BitChute account. This interview with DeLeo on the phone is recorded. All this is in his voice. Gordon Duff, BitChute, easy to find. But if you wanted to hear what he had to say, and this is it, that Romney's girlfriend was a young, a young, a young lady who was born with a Russian father and a Cuban mother. Maria Perez Andropov, daughter of Yuri Andropov. And he supplied me with a photograph of Mitt Romney getting off a plane with a Cuban uh, lady in her looks to be 30s, wearing horizontal stripes with uh, just a little chunky, you know. Uh, Maria Perez Andropov. So so Romney was going out with the KGB chief's daughter. KGB chief and a leader later... uh, Head of the Politburo and Premier. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a pretty good connection there. It's funny that the media got all over Trump for RussiaGate with probably uh, less reason than this. How, how come? Exactly why does right. Romney get a pass? That's exactly right. <laughs> you know, that's that's and that exactly is the question. That's the question. Why did Romney get the pass? The claim is that Romney and um, his, his partner were bringing in cash from the cartels who were also laundering money for the CIA out of Afghanistan that the, they had set up 1500 private accounts at uh, Bain capital in uh, we'll call it a safe haven in the, in the Caribbean. 
and that many of those accounts for were for members of Congress. A couple hundred of those accounts were retirement accounts of Mexican cartel money for members of Congress. And yes, they didn't mention Donald Trump at all. The Russian, the Russian guy, the Russian agent was always Mitt Romney. Hmm. Absolutely. You certainly and, wouldn't know that from reading our mainstream media, but you wouldn't know a lot of things from reading our mainstream media. So, so now let's tie this back into the JFK assassination. So there, there are criminal cartels that overlap with the CIA and indeed did so right from its founding. And some of those cartels involve people who finance the rise of the Nazis. So how does this lead us to uh, November 22nd, 1963? And, you know, my first personal involvement, which was ancillary and minimal, so I'm not an important person now and I wasn't then, uh, I was in New Orleans uh, arranging for uh, transportation of medical supplies to the uh, Contras. And uh, for varying reasons, our own government was having trouble getting those supplies outside the U.S. and to the 200 or so uh, paid uh, uh, mercenaries that needed apparently hundreds of tons of medical equipment, by the way, for some reason. So this is circa 1980. Circa 1980. As part of this, I had two sets of meetings I had to uh, had to deal with. One was uh, uh, involved, um, oh gosh, uh, should I mention Hank Greenberg's insurance company that the CIA runs? Yeah, that, did, that held the funding accounts for uh, 9-11. The, the CFO of that company uh, was the brother of Mike Raper, director of Special Branch. Some time ago, I, w- I spent the holidays with um, with my friends at, at Scotland Yard, and uh, we were in uh, Dorchester at uh, Raper's Cottage anyway. And uh, after 9-11, his brother, who managed the AIG accounts as CFO, was murdered in Portugal. Uh, his brother was in his 30s, a mountain climber. And Mike's a pr- pretty good guy, actually, for, other than the fact he's killed an awful lot of innocent Irish people, I suspect. But I like Mike anyway. But um, And I was tasked, since he was blocked from doing so, into running an investigation of the murder of his mother, contracted, and this is since I'm saying it live here, uh, by the head of Special Branch. Uh, now, if we wanted to go back a couple decades before that, several, this 1979, um, I had two things that had to be set up to run the uh, run the Contras. One is that we had to have aircraft that would take these endless medical supplies down, and that was done through a through AIG uh, under the guise of uh, investigating hijacked trucks. Um, a company out of uh, Jackson, Michigan, that built radio equipment, uh, and if I should mention their name or not, or not. Uh, built transmitters that would handle a drop off a plane if hooked to a bale of cocaine, uh, and uh, those had and the cocaine had to be flown on planes that were contracted to do AIG and a private detective agency out of Nashville. I shouldn't mention those guys' names either, and it was all done under the guise and funding of tracking down stolen or hijacked trucks on America's highways. And those trucks were all going to have little transmitters in the aircraft band put on them, 
powered with little panelloid batteries, which was the cool battery at the time. And instead, lo and behold, those transmitters ended up in Columbia on bales of cocaine and were dropped in the Everglades by mistake by those pilots that were supposed to looking for those missing trucks. The other, uh, the other thing I had to go to New Orleans and meet with people there with uh, the companies that service offshore uh, oil platforms. One company built offshore oil platforms, will not mention on the radio uh, who those individuals were. Uh, one guy, Harry, was one of the partners with Clay Shaw uh, in the International Trade Center. And this group that Tom, I met. That's Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, yeah. JFK. This, this were among them were the surviving characters, <laughs> the real people from the, the, the film JFK. And I did a lunch at the International Center with uh, what was then the Jefferson, Jefferson Parish attorney, who later became a writer of children's books, Clay Shaw's partners and others. Uh, and while I was there, I worked those people as hard as I could for anything on the JFK assassination. What did go on during there is they openly admitted uh, full complicity. My estimation, and it's and this is guesstimation, okay, pure guesstimation. Although I think I'm, you know, I'm good at guesstimating things. That CIA, and we go back to where we were 20 minutes ago. That CIA run by Nazis, the, the OSS founded the CIA from Hitler's two attorneys, Alan Dulles and John Foster Dulles, later uh, Eisenhower's secretary of state, founder of the CIA, his brother Alan. They were Hitler's attorneys in the, in the 1930s for Germany in areas of trade and uh, patents. In particular, these are the people who negotiated the deal between Standard Oil and IG Farben that allowed them to build Auschwitz as a labor camp and to transfer Standard Oil's patents to IG Farben for synthetic oil and synthetic rubber. And that's what the most of the facilities, other than the, uh, the large steel plant, around Auschwitz or Auschwitz. Uh, <laughs> I, I was there with Carol probably maybe like 12 years ago and for Christmas. That's really a great. Yeah, you took Carol to Auschwitz for Christmas. Yeah, I, I think the kids. That sounds like a romantic outing. Well, that was where you have to take your kids, you know, where uh, where they show you where six million Jews were killed in, in Dachau as well. But uh, and as you know, as I said, Carol was you know more than a few Jews in the family, and early on, I, it was a. Uh, there were lessons there, and of course, you know, the the gas chamber with the screen door problem, you know, we, we don't want to get into any of that because we want to be able to travel freely and finish the last years of our lives. Well, yeah, actually, uh, the next place I'm hopefully going, inshallah, is the Islamic Republic of Iran, and you're allowed to talk about these things and pretty much anything else over there. And chance, chances are I'll be in the plane with you. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, yeah, yeah we, it's just kind of strange when you have to go to the Islamic Republic to have a free discussion of history. You know, what, I, of what I've been looking at recently, because every day I have to review endless news stories, and we're here speaking openly, and we're in the United States. Now, they may attack my website. They may attack us in every way. Google wipes every record of us being alive uh, off the world. But when you look at other countries like Germany, 
where journalists like us are being hunted down in Germany and jailed. Yeah, my, my friend uh, Monica spent a year in prison in Germany for making a movie apologizing to her mom for uh, her uh, beliefs about the Holocaust when she was young. It's a very sweet you know, movie. It's certainly not hateful or anything. But that got her a year in prison in Germany. And then her brother, Alfred, who's he's kind of a hardcore guy, ended up serving like five years or something like that. I just had those guys on the radio recently. And now we're finding that Germany has, pl- has criminalized criticism of Ukraine. Uh, <laughs> right. the, the, yeah. the last time we had anything like that was Woodrow Wilson and the Alien and Sedition Act, where it was declared uh, a felony to teach children about the War of 1812. Uh, I, I forgot that part. I remembered it was illegal to criticize U.S. involvement in World War One, and people went to jail for that, and Eugene Debs had to run for president from jail because he, he spoke out against the war. I didn't remember that you couldn't talk about the War of 1812. Uh, because that was that was considered uh, uh, damaging to our British, uh, British allies. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, First, all you have to do is uh, head into Detroit, uh, where they're building a new bridge to Canada, by the way, uh, where there is a, no one knows it's there, A one of the best pieces of military architecture in the United States is Fort Wayne in Detroit, built in the 1840s, with uh, still rows of cannon, all facing Canada. You, you know, Gordon, sometimes I feel like when I'm talking to you, I feel like I'm talking to Uncle Toby in Tristram Shandy, the character who always keeps talking about fortifications. Yeah. Keeps and digressing. Got, and, if you, and if you cross over the river uh, in the uh, Windsor side and you head south about two miles, you'll find our family home, Duff House, where Alexander Duff uh, uh, moved his fur trading post when he fled the United States to avoid too much freedom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we we might have to do something like that again at some point. Uh, maybe too much unfreedom. But but so getting getting back to this this JFK thing. So the CIA basically, when when the United States helped the Russians uh, defeat Hitler, and of course the Russians mostly defeated Hitler. They, apparently, the Russians and the United States also had to defeat the OSS, which was on the side of Hitler. The OSS was absolutely on the side of Hitler, and the Russians have been been doing and saying nothing but this as loud as they could. For well, you know, you know, D- David Talbot's book, <laughs> Devil's Chessboard on Dulles, kind of suggests this. And, you know, Talbot's a pretty mainstream guy, but, uh, yeah, he basically uh, exposes some of this Nazi stuff around Dulles and then also basically pins the Kennedy assassination on Dulles. Well, when... You know, Operation Paper Paperclip is when we supposedly, and then we will. This is another one of the things we lie about. Paperclip was supposedly going to bring in German scientists and people that had that could help secure the United States. Also, it brought in uh, the Waffen SS was a Nazi organization of non-Germans. Most Waffen SS were uh, Dutch and Norwegian. Uh, about 70, 80,000 from Norway, about 60,000 from, uh, the Netherlands. About half of those were alive at the end of the war. Most of them were sent to fight in Russia. They were that bastion of Christianity against Jewish godlessness or whatever that they were supposedly fighting against on behalf of the Nazis. Uh, at the end of the war, they were, of those individuals, along with Werner von Braun and, and 
the Nazis that ran his missile program. Um, these people were brought back to the United States. Uh, most were settled in West Michigan, uh, probably about 40,000 of them, and in the Holland uh, Grand Haven area where I live. You're, you're surrounded by uh, Operation Paperclip Nazis? Surrounded by Operation Paperclip uh, And then from Japan, they uh, brought in the uh, people who ran their germ war uh, operation there. And I've got to remember what those, there's a number on that, uh, Unit 741 or something. Yeah, yeah, those, those, that, those guys were, not, were probably worse than the Nazis, weren't they? I mean, that, some of those war crimes uh, were just but That's really where they had in their files that they were killing American uh, POWs, testing uh, testing germ warfare on, on those, and of course the, the Japanese. And they also sent bubonic plague-infected rats tied to paper gas balloons to the United, so the United States on the uh, varying air currents. And there were breakouts of bubonic plague in the United States from uh, during World War II, along with some major fires, because they also had uh, a version of the same balloon. One had, a, one had an infected rat on it, and the other one had uh, incendiaries. But uh, I think it's 731. People can correct that for us. There is an X-Files episode that outlines this with an unusual amount of specificity. Um, enough that, uh, you know, back in the majestic days here, you know, uh, one of the things uh, that I began asking about is, how does Chris Carter from X-Files get so much really good material when he's not writing about the Jersey Devil or whatever? And... Uh, Apparently, Chris Carter received majestic men in black uh, uh, briefings, you know, periodically on the things that he wrote about and that were in X-Files that were apparently largely true. So, uh, so he's, he's getting them the same memos that you got. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the CIA has periodic get-togethers. Every time somebody dies, we all have to load in a plane and go somewhere and then sit around a room with a lot of seriously broken people, by the way. And that's generally, you, know, you can see that, you know, nobody has any money and no, everybody's gotten in trouble before, after, or during. Nobody has an active, you know, retirement because nobody lasts long enough to. You get burned, thrown out, assassinated, whatever, or jailed. Um, you spend enough years in the CIA, if they don't send you to prison, you're really, really lucky. Because that's generally where people go. Mm. But it's, well, well the, guy, the guys who killed the Kennedys never seem to uh, see the inside of a prison cell. You and I were talking about Tucker Carlson earlier and, and JFK. And um, when I look at who is around from the CIA now, you know, I've, I've Larry is, uh, you know, we talk periodically and Larry's, Pushing 80. Uh, I don't know of anyone older, but uh, <laughs> the, the people like Angleton and others have been gone for so very long. Of the people who worked active intelligence during the Cold War, I'm one of a, no more than a handful. And very, and, and I had my limitations in that. I was limited. I couldn't work with East German or Russian directly. Most of the time I was restricted because of my 
varying inexperience or the fact that my father was a communist. Uh, so I was stuck in what Trump would call the, can I say shithole on the radio? Uh, um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to deal with Cubans and West Africa and the Egyptians and, you know, stuff and, and this Central American stuff, you know, and I was, I was, well, the, the weather's with, better there anyway. Yeah. Generally, uh, and you, you develop a real love for, uh, beans and rice. You know, so it's a great staple. Uh, I just think about this, how lonely it is flying in somewhere with a fake name and a fake passport to meet with some right wing maniac and to discuss policies that nobody believes in uh, because you have some hope of career advancement within one of the most corrupt organizations in the history of the planet. And wh where does this lead? I mean, you know, if, if there's such a thing as karma, how do you be a Navy SEAL or any of these other delusional organizations where you're really running drugs and assassinating freedom-loving people? There's no question that that's where this all, all goes. Mm -hmm. yeah, Smedley no Butler got it right. So the Smedley Butler had it right. And in particular... The CIA that Tucker Carlson is rightly saying was involved in the Kennedy, and we all agree with that. It wasn't the CIA. It was the, it was Germany's Abwehr moved into this country taking over. You know, what we forget so very easily is, you know, not only have we made the Zelensky, Zelensky the Time Magazine man of, man of the year in 1940, it was Adolf Hitler, but we also forget about the Committee of One Million. We forget about Charles Lindbergh. Uh, we forget how many Americans, 40% of Americans 30 years ago, we've, we've had some changes in ethnic balance since then, we're German-Americans. Uh, and the significant numbers of those German-Americans have maintained a uh, political pro, uh, proclivity toward tyranny. Uh, rural America. Rural America embraced Hitler. They embraced Nazism. They embraced eugenics. Uh, they embraced the Schofield Bible. They embra embraced the Zionist Israel. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You're, you're blaming the German immigrants for eugenics? Wasn't that like a Rockefeller thing? Wasn't the WASP elite mostly doing the eugenics? The eugenics movement comes from the Harrimans, not the Rockefellers. Uh, the issue where well, first of all, um, Fulford, who believes I work for the Rockefellers, which I do not, uh, I have not spent my life uh, grabbing onto what is thrown to me, and that would be Ford and Rockefeller and their, uh, and particularly Standard Oil's p position with Nazi Germany. Now, back in the 1970s, when I was, you know, at uh, a, a gradual student. That's your year student until you gradually get sick of it. Uh, and that's, uh, God, I'm trying to think from the world according to Garp. But um, one of the few things that academia latched onto is that relationship between Standard Oil and Nazi Germany, how Standard Oil uh, at the outset of the war sent their tankers out with German-only crews and how uh, so they could keep supplying oil 
to both Japan and to Germany uh, through the blockade, and how the U.S. spent a couple of years hunting down Standard Oil's tanker fleet and bringing them in, you know, sending cruisers and destroyers all over the world, hunting down these tankers, and that these tank uh, tanker crews, German tanker crews, were kept in uh, prison camps specifically for Standard Oil employees inside the U.S., and I know that to be true, something that you could never find out now. But I, mm-hmm. back in the 70s, people who ran that operation uh, were teaching at Michigan State University. Standard and oil concentration camps in the U.S. We all know about the Japanese internment camps, but nobody I know of has ever talked about the standard oil camps. It's very, it's for, for standard oil's German crews that, Crazy. that kept oil moving to the axis during World War II and hunting those down. And so we had a portion of our Navy rambling the world looking for standard oil tankers. So, and, so, so there, there were there was a difference you know, among the oligarchical elite. There were sort of different allegiances, and then there were people who were just trying to you know take advantage of the situation to grab more money and power and so on. And then this all evolves into, into 1963, and it sounds like you're arguing that Mike Piper – uh, didn't tell the whole story in you know blas- blaming Israel plus its organized crime assets, uh, with with Angleton as the key figure being an Israeli asset. You're saying it's more complicated and that there's Nazis as much or more than Zionists are responsible for killing Kennedy. And that and that the unless you were inside that organization, the fact that God, what can I get to find what I can say without getting, yeah. Yeah, we, we only have like one or two minutes left. Uh, yeah, there's stuff I can't say here, but let's just say this. It was more than possible that the relationship between East German intelligence and the CIA for many years was far too close during the Cold War. All I know is that I was never allowed to ever talk to anyone from East German intelligence when they would come into the U.S. and they were here all the time doing something and, and traveling around way too freely. And this is in the period, you know, let's say a, a little more than a decade past the assassination. But within the CIA, I'm saying that the CIA has never been an agency of the United States government, and it has always been an agency of the oligarchical groups that- supported Hitler, and that would be Rockefeller, it would be the Bush family, certainly the Herrin, Herrmann family, more than certainly Ford, you know, in, you know Henry Ford, well, World War II was put under house arrest, his son who was in the Coast Guard, Henry Ford II, was brought back to Detroit and put in charge of uh, the company because it was believed Henry Ford was sabotaging the production of the uh, B-24 bomber at Willow Run and that was going to be the real weight bearer in the in the uh, air war on Nazi Germany. But it, it goes further. Uh, it, go, it would cover Edison, of course, Lindbergh, and then it heads into Goodyear, Firestone Rubber, Libio and Ford, uh, Stranahan, which is champion spark plug. Uh, so, so with all these pro-Nazi oligarchs, it's a miracle that uh, Roosevelt somehow rallied the country uh, into an anti-German hysteria. Every every major German corporation had American ownership 
<laughs> during World War II. And the okay. issue being the OSS was there to manage their money through the Vatican. Interesting. Well, uh, we'll talk. Ramin Mazahari is coming on in the second hour, and I think he would agree with your analysis of the CIA as a tool of criminal oligarchical factions. And he's in favor of a grassroots revolution to overthrow that entire system. So we'll uh, we'll talk to Ramin about that. Well, thank you so much, Gordon. It's great talking hey, with you. We're, we're all ready to get on board that one. Okay. Revolution. <laughs> this is Revolution Radio. Kevin Barrett here with Gordon Duff back in a little bit with Ramin Mazahari, author of France's Yellow Vests, Western Suppression of the West's Best Values. Stick around. Right back after this message.